33. Letters in Conclusion Letter 3 of Basil This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sally McConnell Basil by Wilkie Collins Letters in Conclusion Letter 3 to Mr. John Bernard, from the writer of the foregoing autobiography. This letter is nearly nine years later in date than the letters which precede it. Lanreath Cottage, Breckenshire. My dear friend, I find by your last letter that you doubt whether I still remember the circumstances under which I made a certain promise to you more than eight years ago. You are mistaken. Not one of those circumstances has escaped my memory. To satisfy you of this, I will now recapitulate them. You will own, I think, that I have forgotten nothing. After my removal from Cornwall, shall I ever forget the first sight of Clara and Ralph at my bedside, when the nervous malady from which I suffered so long had yielded to the affectionate devotion of my family, aided by the untiring exercise of your skill, one of my first anxieties was to show that I could gratefully appreciate your exertions for my good by reposing the same confidence in you, which I should place in my nearest and dearest relatives. From the time when we first met at the hospital, your services were devoted to me, through much misery of mind and body, with the delicacy and the self-denial of a true friend. I felt that it was only your due that you should know by what trials I had been reduced to the situation in which you found me, when you accompanied my brother and sister to Cornwall. I felt this, and placed in your hands, for your own private perusal, the narrative which I had written of my error and of its terrible consequences. To tell you all that had happened to me, with my own lips, was more than I could do then, and even after this lapse of years, would be more than I could do now. After you had read the narrative, you urged me, on returning it into my possession, to permit its publication during my lifetime. I granted the justness of the reasons which led you to counsel me thus, but I told you at the same time that an obstacle, which I was bound to respect, would prevent me from following your advice. While my father lived, I could not suffer a manuscript in which he was represented, no matter under what excess of provocation, as separating himself in the bitterest hostility from his own son to be made public property. I could not suffer events of which we never afterwards spoke ourselves to be given to others in the form of a printed narrative which might perhaps fall under his own eye. You acknowledged, I remember, the justice of these considerations, and promised, in case I died before him, to keep back my manuscript from publication as long as my father lived. In binding yourself to that engagement, however, you stipulated, and I agreed, that I should reconsider your arguments in case I outlived him. This was my promise, and these were the circumstances under which it was made. You will allow, I think, that my memory is more accurate than you had imagined it to be. 
and now you write to remind me of my part of our agreement, forbearing with your accustomed delicacy to introduce the subject until more than six months have elapsed since my father's death. You have done well. I have had time to feel all the consolation afforded to me by the remembrance that for years past my life was of some use in sweetening my father's, that his death has occurred in the ordinary course of nature, and that I never, to my own knowledge, gave him any cause to repent the full and loving reconciliation which took place between us, as soon as we could speak together freely after my return to home. Still, I am not answering your question. Am I now willing to permit the publication of my narrative, provided all names and places mentioned in it remain concealed, and I am known to no one but yourself, Ralph and Clara, as the writer of my own story? I reply that I am willing. In a few days you will receive the manuscript by a safe hand, Neither my brother nor my sister object to its being made public on the terms I have mentioned, and I feel no hesitation in accepting the permission thus accorded to me. I have not glossed over the flightiness of Ralph's character, but the brotherly kindness and manly generosity which lie beneath it are as apparent, I hope, in my narrative as they are in fact. And Clara, dear Clara, all that I have said of her is only to be regretted as unworthy of the noblest subject that my pen, or any other pen, can have to write on. One difficulty, however, still remains. How are the pages which I am about to send you to be concluded? In the novel-reading sense of the word, my story has no real conclusion. The repose that comes to all of us after trouble, to me a repose in life, to others how often a repose only in the grave, is the end which must close this autobiography, an end calm, natural, and uneventful, yet not perhaps devoid of all lesson and value. Is it fit that I should set myself, for the sake of effect to make a conclusion, and terminate by fiction what has begun, and thus far has proceeded in truth? In the interests of art, as well as in the interests of reality, surely not. Whatever remains to be related after the last entry in my journal will be found expressed in the simplest, and therefore the best form, by the letters from William and Mary Penhale, which I send you with this. When I revisited Cornwall to see the good miner and his wife, I found in the course of the inquiries which I made as to the past, that they still preserved the letters they had written about me while I lay ill at Treen. I asked permission to take copies of these two documents, as containing materials which I could but ill supply from my own resources, for filling up a gap in my story. They at once consented, telling me that they had always kept each other's letters after marriage as carefully as they kept them before, in token that their first affection remained to the last unchanged. At the same time they entreated me, with the most earnest simplicity, to polish their own homely expressions, and turn them, as they phrased it, into proper reading. You may easily imagine that I knew better than to do this, and you will, I am sure, agree with me that both the letters I send should be printed as literally as they were copied by my hand. 
having now provided for the continuation of my story to the period of my return home, I have a word or two to say on the subject of preparing the autobiography for press. Failing in the resolution, even now, to look over my manuscript again, I leave the corrections it requires to others, but on one condition. Let none of the passages in which I have related events or described characters be either softened or suppressed. I am well aware of the tendency in some readers to denounce truth itself as improbable, unless their own personal experience has borne witness to it, and it is on this very account that I am firm in my determination to allow of no cringing beforehand to anticipated incredulities. What I have written is truth, and it shall go into the world as truth should, entirely uncompromised. Let my style be corrected as completely as you will, but leave characters and events which are taken from realities real as they are. In regard to the surviving persons with whom this narrative associates me, I have little to say which it can concern the reader to know. The man whom I have presented in the preceding pages under the name of Sherwin is, I believe, still alive, and still residing in France, whither he retreated soon after the date of the last events mentioned in my autobiography. A new system has been introduced into his business by his assistant, which, when he left to his own unaided resources, he failed to carry out. His affairs became involved. A commercial crisis occurred, which he was wholly unable to meet, and he was made a bankrupt, having first dishonestly secured to himself a subsistence for life out of the wreck of his property. I accidentally heard of him a few years since, as maintaining among the English residents of the town he then inhabited the character of a man who had undeservedly suffered from severe family misfortunes, and who bore his afflictions with the most exemplary piety and resignation. To those once connected with him, who are now no more, I need not and cannot refer again. That part of the dreary past with which they are associated is the part which I still shrink in terror from thinking on. There are two names which my lips have not uttered for years, which in this life I shall never pronounce again. The night of death is over them, a night to look away from for evermore. To look away from, but towards what object? The future? That way I see but dimly even yet, it is on the present that my thoughts are fixed, in the contentment which desires no change. For the last five months I have lived here with Clara, here on the little estate which was once her mother's, which is now hers. Long before my father's death we often talked in the great country house of future days which we might pass together, as we pass them now, in this place. Though we may often leave it for a time, we shall always look back to Lanreath Cottage as to our home. The years of retirement which I spent at the hall after my recovery have not awakened in me a single longing to return to the busy world. Ralph, now the head of our family, now aroused by his new duties to a sense of his new position, Ralph, already emancipated from many of the habits which once enthralled and degraded him, 
has written, bidding me employ to the utmost the resources which his position enables him to offer me if I decide on entering into public life. But I have no such purpose. I am still resolved to live on in obscurity, in retirement, in peace. I have suffered too much. I have been wounded too sadly to range myself with the heroes of ambition, and fight my way upward from the ranks. The glory and the glitter which I once longed to look on as my own would dazzle and destroy me now. Such shocks as I have endured leave that behind them which changes the character and the purpose of a life. The mountain path of action is no longer a path for me. My future hope pauses with my present happiness in the shadowed valley of repose. Not a repose which owns no duty, and is good for no use, not a repose which thought cannot ennoble, and affection cannot sanctify. To serve the cause of the poor and the ignorant, in the little sphere which now surrounds me, to smooth the way for pleasure and plenty, where pain and want have made it rugged too long, to live more and more worthy with every day of the sisterly love which never tiring, never changing, watches over me in this last retreat, this dearest home. These are the purposes, the only purposes left, which I may still cherish. Let me but live to fulfil them, and life will have given to me all that I can ask. I may now close my letter. I have communicated to you all the materials I can supply for the conclusion of my autobiography, and have furnished you with the only directions I wish to give in reference to its publication. Present it to the reader in any form and at any time that you think fit. On its reception by the public I have no wish to speculate. It is enough for me to know that, with all its faults, it has been written in sincerity and in truth. I shall not feel false shame at its failure, or false pride at its success. If there be any further information which you think it necessary to possess, and which I have forgotten to communicate, write to me on the subject, or, far better, come here yourself, and ask me with your own lips all that you desire to know. Come, and judge of the life which I am now leading, by seeing it as it really is. Though it be only for a few days, pause long enough in your career of activity and usefulness, of fame and honour, to find leisure time for a visit to the cottage where we live. This is as much Clara's invitation as mine. She will never forget, even if I could, all that I have owed to your friendship, will never weary, even if I should tire, of showing you that we are capable of deserving it. Come, then, and see her as well as me. See her once more, my sister of old times. I remember what you said of Clara when we last met, and last talked of her, and I believe you will be almost as happy to see her again in her old character as I am. Till then, farewell. Do not judge hastily of my motives for persisting in the life of retirement which I have led for so many years past. Do not think that calamity has chilled my heart, or enervated my mind. Past suffering may have changed, but it has not deteriorated me. It has fortified my spirit with an abiding strength. It has told me plainly 
much that was but dimly revealed to me before it has shown me uses to which i may put my existence that have their sanction from other voices than the voices of fame it has taught me to feel that bravest ambition which is vigorous enough to overleap the little life here is there no aspiration in the purposes for which i now live bernard whatever we can do of good in this world with our affections or our faculties rises to the eternal world above us as a song of praise from humanity to god amid the thousand thousand tones ever joining to swell the music of that song are those which sound loudest and grandest here the tones which travel sweetest and purest to the imperishable throne which mingle in the perfectest harmony with the anthem of the angel choir ask your own heart that question and then say may not the obscurest life even a life like mine be dignified by a lasting aspiration and dedicated to a noble aim i have done the calm summer evening has stolen on me while i have been writing to you and clara's voice now the happy voice of the happy old times calls to me from our garden seat to come out and look at the sunset over the distant sea once more farewell end of section 33 letters in conclusion end of basil by wilkie collins